Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and open up with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start off in verse 12 today. And as you can see on the screen, today's message is entitled, Team Jesus is Filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, in case you missed it last week, we started off a new series as we finished up uh, the Gospel of John, and now we're in the book of Acts. And Acts really just picks up the story right after Jesus' resurrection. Right? It tells us how Christianity was spread across the Roman Empire. The book of Acts is sometimes titled the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. But I kind of disagree with that. You see, I think a better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to take notes today, uh, you can check in your bulletin. We've got some fill-in-the-blanks if you like to follow along. But that's our first fill-in-the-blank. A better title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You see, we read last week how Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem before they go. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For John truly baptized with water, but you, talking to the disciples, shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we'll see in Acts chapter 2 how they are baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they were empowered to be His witnesses to the whole world. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no book of Acts. The disciples wouldn't have had the power to do what God had called them to do. Now, we ended last week as Jesus ascended up into heaven, and there's about a week's time between ch uh, verse 11 and now we get into chapter 2 uh, with the day of Pentecost. So now we're going to see what's going to happen during that week at the end of chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we read about Team Jesus. Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So it was roughly a half-mile distance. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James." These are the 11 remaining disciples, and I want us to make a special note of Simon the Zealot. You see, the Zealots were Jews who wanted to remove Roman rule by force. Um, not all Zealots were violent, but some of them were. And all Zealots wanted God alone to rule over Israel, even if it meant full-on war against Rome. Perhaps it was Simon the Zealot who was behind Acts chapter 1 verse 6 where it says, Therefore, when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So we've got Simon the Zealot. And yet, also among the disciples, we have Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector who would have volunteered to collect taxes for Rome from his own fellow Jewish brethren. He was seen as a, as a traitor. He was one of the most hated, uh, the most hated job of all, of all Jews. And so, because he was seen as a betrayer of Israel, he was rejected, and yet Jesus called Matthew in to follow him. And so here's my point. We have Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. 
Two guys who couldn't have more opposing backgrounds and more opposing views, and yet Jesus calls them both to follow him, and he unites them in himself. And he probably made them roommates, right? Made them room together. You guys share a tent. You guys need to figure this out. You see, there's bigger issues than what they had in mind. Jesus brings us together. You see, your next fill in the blank, Team Jesus includes people that you would never choose. Team Jesus includes people that you would never choose. Jesus takes people from all different backgrounds and unites them together in one church. We don't all worship the same. We don't all live the same. We don't all vote the same. And yet in Jesus, we are one. In Jesus, those differences, they're non-essentials. Look at verse 14 now. It says, these all, these 11 disciples, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we see the 11 disciples were not alone. They were joined by women like Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons out of this lady. And here she is still following the Lord, still gathering with the disciples to meet and pray together, which reminds us that Team Jesus includes people with extremely dark pasts. You see, no one's too dark, no one's too lost for Jesus to save and make His, His own. We also read here the disciples are joined by Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, the angel Gabriel calls her highly favored one and blessed among women. And yet, Mary was just like you and I, a sinner saved by grace. She's mentioned here seeking the Lord alongside the other believers. You see, Team Jesus puts us all on the same level or in the same class. We're all on the same level. Now, God's going to use us for different things. God's going to gift us in different ways. But God has given all of us the same access to Him. Nobody has special access to Jesus over others. But instead, we all have special access to Jesus. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 up on the screen. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You may remember in the Old Testament that the priests were the only ones who were allowed to go into the temple. And only the high priest was allowed to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, that inner room where God would manifest Himself at times. And that high priest was only allowed to go in there on one day a year, on the Day of Atonement. You see, it all spoke of don't get too close because God is holy and you are not. So if you don't do things right, then you fall to the ground dead. And yet Jesus, he calls you and I a royal priesthood. You see, we no longer have to go through a priest or these rituals to get to God and to commune with God. But Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is the one who, when he died on the cross, that veil was torn. And there's no longer anything separating us from the Holy of Holies. No longer anything separating you from communing with the Lord. 
You don't need to go through me. You don't need to go through anybody else. You have access to him. We all do. And so he's made us all priests in the sense that we all have access to the Lord. There's only one person that we pray to, and that's God. There's only one person that we worship, and that's God. Anybody who offers to be a middleman for you to help you get closer to God, say, no thanks, I've got a middleman, his name is Jesus. Right? He's the only mediator that we need. And so verse 14 again, it says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You see, along with the rest of the crew here, we're given the mention of Jesus' brothers. Although Jesus was born of a virgin, after he was born, Mary and Joseph, they had sons and daughters. And it's interesting because earlier in John chapter 7, verse 5, we read, for even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. His brothers didn't believe in him. And yet, here they are, in one accord, praying alongside the disciples. So what changed their minds? How do they go from unbelief to now following Jesus and meeting with the few in this upper room? I believe it was the resurrection. Where they were once skeptical, they are now believers. And two of these half-brothers of Jesus even wrote books in the Bible, the book of James and the book of Jude. Therefore, Team Jesus includes former skeptics. Team Jesus includes former people who had rejected Jesus, rejected the truth. Now, one of the reasons I point this out is because there's always room for one more. You see, you might say, I, I can't come to Jesus because I just don't fit in with you people, right? I can't come to Jesus because my past is too dark. I can't come to Jesus because I'm, I've been such a skeptic all my life. I can't come to Jesus because... I have different political views. Nonsense. Remember, Jesus doesn't save you because you are worthy or because you've earned it, but Jesus saves us because He is worthy, because He has earned it. He saves us because He loves us despite our sin and our failures. And so if you're not on Team Jesus, then I invite you to join. He's already made a spot for you. He's got your name on it, and He invites you, no matter what your past is, no matter what baggage you have, He invites you to put your faith in Him, because He wants to take you and make you His, and to join you into the body of Christ. Jesus wants you to become a priest or minister, to proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Now in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26, we read about Judas's replacement. It says in verse 15, it says, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And he said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So Peter's talking about Judas. Judas was one of the twelve disciples, 
And yet he had made a deal with the chief priests and Pharisees where they paid him money and he said, I will lead you to where Jesus is, where he's alone, so you can arrest him and it won't make a public scene or anything. And he did. Now in the next few verses, we get some more details on what happened to Judas after his betrayal. Verse 18, it says, Now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Acheldama, that is, field of blood. Now, this represents a problem for some because they read here in Acts where it says Judas fell and his insides burst open, burst out. And then they read in Matthew 27 where it says Judas hung himself. And they say, that's a contradiction. Which one is it? And yet, putting the two accounts together, we get a more detailed account. Judas did hang himself. And at some point, the rope or the limb snapped and his body burst open. Now, Peter continues speaking in the next verse. And Peter says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So Peter believed they should choose a replacement for Judas. Since he kind of X'd himself off from the list of the apostles, he wants to put a replacement there. But notice there were two criteria to meet. Peter says this replacement, he must have been following Jesus since the beginning, since Jesus was baptized by John. And they must have been an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Now, to me, this is interesting because it shows us that the whole time we've been reading through the Gospels, it wasn't just the twelve. There were others. There were others who followed Jesus and were his disciples, but they were not numbered in the twelve. They were that inner circle. But from this group of others who'd followed Jesus, his whole ministry, Peter now wants to choose from them. And so they've narrowed their options And we look at verse 23. They proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So their decision here was prompted by Scripture. It was filled with prayer, and it was trusting that God would make clear to them what his choice was. And so as they narrowed down their choices, they then essentially rolled the dice. All right, Matthias, pick a number between one and six. Matthias, you're the one. Many people ponder. They say, man, maybe Peter jumped the gun here, right? Because we've seen him do it before. Maybe Peter jumped the gun and he should have waited for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who Jesus said would guide them in all truth. 
And maybe Peter should have waited. Some argue that Paul, the apostle, is a much more logical choice of who should have been that twelfth apostle. After all, Paul's mentioned throughout the rest of Scripture, whereas Matthias is never again mentioned in the New Testament. Interesting thought. We read about the new Jerusalem in heaven in Revelation 21, verse 14, where it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So in heaven, there's going to be the name of the twelve apostles. Whose name's going to be there? Matthias or Paul? I don't know. I don't really care. But here's why I talk about this. You see, church history tells us that Matthias, he died as a Christian martyr just like the rest of the apostles. Also, most of the apostles are never again mentioned by name in the New Testament. That doesn't make them less of an apostle. It just tells me that the Bible tells us some things, but not everything. You see, the Bible tells us what we need to know. The Bible doesn't tell us everything we would like to know. But here's one thing we do know. Throughout Scripture... We see how God uses imperfect people for His perfect plan. God uses imperfect people for His perfect plan. Whether they picked the wrong guy or not, the church in Acts does not do everything perfectly. We need to recognize that. You see, it can be so easy for us to read through the book of Acts and be, wow, man, the early church was amazing. And yet, when you look closely, you see they've got a lot of junk and issues just like we do today. And so when we read through the book of Acts, we say, wow, God is amazing. Because look at what He can do with a messed up church. Look at what He can do when they don't listen. Look at what He can do when He fills them with His Holy Spirit. Because that's the same God that we have today. That's what God wants to do for you and me. And so we don't want to idolize the past. We want to look today and say, God, what do you want to do through your broken church that has a lot of issues? Lord, fill us with your spirit and use us as you see fit. You see, Jesus gave us an incredible promise in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You see, Jesus promised to build His church. It wasn't the apostles' job. It's not our job today to build the church. And this is our next point. Jesus' job is to build His church. My job is to faithfully obey. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get wrapped up in the results that I'm looking for. Lord, I felt like you called me to go and talk to that guy or that girl about you, and, you know, they didn't really want to hear it. The Lord says, I'm supposed to build the church, not you. I told you to do it. You be faithful. Obey what I've called you to do. Leave the results up to me. Oh, okay, okay. Lord, I don't really think the fruit is there from all that you're wanting to do in my life. Leave the results up to me. You be faithful. Oh, okay, okay. And I need that reminder because I'm so tempted with the world that we live in that's all about results and results and results. 
I have to stop and say, Lord, that's your job. My job is to be faithful to what you've called me to do. To be faithful in taking that next step of obedience. And so, we look at God's job to build the church, and that should give us great comfort. It should take the burden off of our shoulders. In fact, we should not worry when it looks like the church is losing. Sometimes we look out at the world and we say, Oh no, I'm not so sure that the church is going to be okay. And yet, we have the end of the book. Jesus wins. We're going to be in heaven with Him. Jesus is on the throne. We don't need to freak out. We don't need to worry. And I'm talking to myself here. We can be comforted in the fact that Jesus is in control. We are on the winning team. And so again, coming back to what has God called you to do? What has God called me to do? Is there a sin you've been making excuses for? Take that next step of obedience. Say, Lord, help me to defeat this. Maybe there is something the Lord's put on your heart to do. Take that next step of obedience and leave the results up to Him. But trust Him to move forward. Picking up in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we read about Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, this day of Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, which was 50 days after Passover. And this was one of the three holidays a year where Jews from all over would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate together. And so you've got Jews from all over the Roman Empire gathered in Jerusalem during this time. And verse 2, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. As I studied this passage this week, I just thought about how difficult it must have been to describe this. You can see they had trouble as they said, well, we heard a sound, it was like rushing mighty wind, and we saw something, it was kind of like fiery tongues divided over everybody. But what exactly happened? We find out in the next verse, in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus had told the disciples in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And yet, in Acts chapter 1, before they went, He tells them in verses 4 and 5, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, He said, you have heard from Me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The disciples were commissioned by God to go and make disciples of all nations, but then they were commanded to wait. Don't go yet. Wait upon the Lord until you are empowered to accomplish that work, empowered to fulfill that work. And so here in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, later in Acts, we read about other people 
being baptized or being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's no mention then of the fiery tongues or the sound of rushing wind. Those signs seem to be just on this day, just on this first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. After the disciples were filled with the Spirit, it says that they began to speak with other tongues, meaning they spoke in other languages. This is one of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. He gives us the ability to speak in a language that we don't actually know. We, we look at this gift, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it more, but I want to mention now, it's not something that we all have. We'll talk about that later. But for now, look at what happened. As the disciples were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in tongues, speak in another language. Verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all those who speak Galileans? So, it was common for people in this day to be bilingual. Everybody spoke Greek. That was the common language of the Roman Empire. But you would also speak whatever local language you were raised in or you grew up in. And so here, they're hearing that local language that they grew up in. And they're hearing the disciples speak in it. But they say, these are all Galileans. They're not from my hometown. What's going on here? And so, verse 8, they continue that in the crowd said, How is it that we hear, each in our own language, in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so the crowd was amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, oh, they're just full of new wine. They've been hitting the sauce a little early today, right? Now, that's an interesting thought, because I don't know which of you has ever seen somebody learn a new language by getting drunk. I've never seen that. If that were the case, then foreign language in school would have been a lot more interesting, right? All right, kids, here's your homework today. You know, it's silly, right? And so, three things I want us to see about the gift of tongues. Notice what the people heard in their own language. It says they heard the disciples speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They heard the wonderful works of God being spoken. You see, the disciples spoke in tongues and the people heard them worshiping God. That's what they heard. The disciples were worshiping God. The weird part is it was in a different language. And the crowd recognized, well, that's my home language from back home. How do you know that? How are you worshiping God in that language? You see, the disciples were not speaking in tongues to the crowds, but they were speaking in tongues to God. And that's your first point on tongues. The gift of tongues is always man speaking to God. Man speaking to God. We read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. 
where Paul says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. You see, in Scripture we never see somebody speaking in tongues to or over another person. But they speak in tongues to God. Because tongues is man speaking to God. That's the direction that tongues go. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 27 and 28, where it says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, so not everybody at the same time, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. See, the next point is tongues is only to be used in private, unless there is an interpreter. If I came up here and I preached today in German, chances are most of you wouldn't get much out of that, right? And I'd probably sound really angry. Sorry, Germans. It just, that's just how it sounds, right? So, that's the whole point. If I spoke German, we would need a translator so that you guys could actually, oh, okay, I get it, right? Not because tongues is even a message for you, but you can't, you can't say, Oh, amen, praise the Lord, to my worship, unless you can understand what I'm saying, right? Because I might be worshiping sausage in German, not God. You need to hear what I'm saying so that you can agree with it and be edified. And so, Paul says here, tongues is meant to be in private only, unless there's an interpreter who can translate what's going on so that everybody else can be edified or blessed with it. And one of the other gifts of the Spirit is the gift of interpretation. You see, tongues is just one of the many different spiritual gifts. Tongues is just one of them. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll notice that a lot of these verses we're quoting are 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. So if you want to look at more of what God's Word says about spiritual gifts and how they are to be used, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. On your own. You can write that down for later. But for now, chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. This is just a partial list. Scripture mentions other gifts, like the gift of serving or the gift of encouragement, the gift of giving, the gift of hospitality, the gift of mercy, and more. But notice that the last part of 1 Corinthians 12:11, the Spirit distributes gifts as He wills. As He wills. You see, God chooses what gifts we get. So how do we get these spiritual gifts? Jesus told us in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, we don't earn salvation. It's a gift by God's grace. 
And so too, we don't earn spiritual gifts. They're a gift according to God's grace. Your next point, Scripture teaches us that all Christians have at least one spiritual gift. All. We read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, in the New Living Translation, it says, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And again, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You see, God has gifted us differently so that we can all be one body made up of different parts. We're not all supposed to be the same part. We're not all supposed to be gifted the same. We're not all called to do the same types of ministry. But God has gifted each of us so that we can come together in Him and be one body serving Him together. And as we saw in that 1 Corinthians 12, 7, He gives us those gifts for the profit of all. Spiritual gifts are for the profit of all. They are to strengthen and encourage each other in Christ. Scripture also shows us that spiritual gifts are for today, but they are not for eternity. They are for today, but they are not for eternity. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verses 8 through 12, where it says, Love never fails. Now, if you came here today for a Valentine's message, there you go. Okay. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. What is that which is perfect? The that which is perfect. Some think that it's the Bible. They say, well, it's, it's the New Testament. Once the New Testament was finished being written, that is that which is perfect. It has come. We don't need those gifts anymore. We don't need the gifts of prophecy and the gift of tongues and some others. But I don't think so. You see, read on with me in 1 Corinthians 13, now in verse 11, the next verse. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. You see, the Bible doesn't have a face. We can know the Bible, but the Bible can't know us. So what is the that which is perfect that will come? It's Jesus. You see, when Jesus returns to establish His kingdom to begin the eternity ongoing, that is when we no longer need spiritual gifts. Because we're going to live with Him forever and ever. We're no longer going to see glimpses of His love and His power, but we're going to see Him face to face. We're no longer going to know God in part, but we're going to know Him just as we are known by Him. We won't need the spiritual gifts of prophecy or tongues or knowledge anymore. We won't even need to exercise faith anymore. Because He's going to dwell with us. He's going to live with us. He'll be right there. You don't need to have faith in what you can see right before your eyes. But love, love never fails. Love never ends. Because for all eternity, we're going to be enjoying 
God's love for us and are returning our love back to Him. You see, Jesus told the disciples, Go, make disciples of all nations. But then He told them, But wait, wait until you receive power. Wait until I equip you so that you don't do it in your own strength. Have you ever tried to go in what God has called you to do in your own strength? Have you ever tried to go in your own power before? I have a picture of Christians trying to live in their own power. It looks like this. No power. Plugged into themselves. It fits, but it doesn't do anything. Right? That's you and I. If we try to live for Christ in our own power. No power. Have you been living powerlessly? Plugged into yourself? You know what God's called you to do, but you're trying to do it in your own strength. Then, wait on the Lord. Let Him empower you. Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Wait on the Lord. Let Him reveal it to you. Do you feel hopeless to break free from the bondage of sin? Wait on the Lord. He's the only one that can set us free from our bondage. Do you think you're too messed up or too weak to be used by God? Wait on the Lord. He will show you that He can take the broken and use it for His kingdom. Have you already been filled with the Spirit? Then keep waiting on the Lord. You see, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And God began to do some amazing things in and through them. We'll see next week how Peter stands up and he begins to preach to the crowds. Interesting, because we obviously know when they spoke in tongues, they weren't sharing the gospel because that's what Peter's about to do in Greek so everybody can understand it. And he preaches the gospel and 3,000 people get saved in one day. That's a big jump from 120 to 3,120. That's amazing. And yet in Acts chapter 4, the disciples, they're arrested, they're beaten, they're threatened to stop preaching about Jesus. And so we read in Acts chapter 4, as they gathered to wait on the Lord, they prayed. And in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, they're praying and they say, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hands to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You see, they knew what God had called them to do. Go and make disciples. And the chief priest said, you better stop, or we're going to punch you again or we're going to arrest you again, or we're going to put you to death. And so they said, Lord, we need to wait on you. You need to be the one that equips us. You need to be the one that empowers us. You need to be the one that does this through us, in us, for your name, for your glory. So, Lord, would you move in power? And they were filled again with the Spirit. Now, I bet for Valentine's Day, none of you are going to go to the gas station. Right? That's not a place that we go to for fun. That's not like the place of excitement and joy. Right? 
That's not a special date. And yet we always find ourselves going back there. Right? Because the car needs more gas. We as believers have been designed by God to run on the power of the Holy Spirit. Our tank's not very big, and I think that's on purpose. You see, if God gave me an infinity tank, I'd say, thanks God, see you in heaven. And I'd be running, and I'd be wanting to serve Him, and I'd want to live my life for Him, but I wouldn't come back to waiting on Him. Because I wouldn't need to. I think God gives us that limited tank for our relationship with Him. We continue to go back to Him and say, Lord, I need You. You've got to empower me. I need Your help here. And it also shows that God gets all the glory. Because we wind out, pooped out. And then we go back to the Lord. We wait on Him. And we say, Lord, it's only You. Whatever God does in us and through us, it's only Him. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. And so your last point, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. It's not a once filling for the rest of your life. It wasn't for the disciples. It's not for you and for me. And so church, may we be a church that is waiting on the Lord. Expectant that He will empower us to do what He's called us to do. And may we take that next step of obedience and trust the results up to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we have Your Word to study and to know. And we thank You for how it applies to our lives today. Lord, surely there are many here today and many watching online who can relate to their need for You. Lord, I can relate. I need You. And so, Lord, as we close, we want to have a heart that says, I need to be waiting on You. I need to be finding time to seek out You in prayer and say, Lord, help me to take that next step of obedience. Help me to obey what You're calling me to do. But Lord, I need Your power. Lord, would You fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit right now. Lord, would You give us the gifts as You see fit so that we can edify and profit each other. Lord, would You equip us so that we can fulfill the calling You've put on each of our lives. Lord, would You empower us so that we can proclaim the praises of You who have called us out of darkness and into Your marvelous light. Lord, may You get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with me? Amen. Well, as we talk about spiritual gifts and being filled with the Spirit, I know sometimes that can bring up a lot of questions. I'm excited as we continue through Acts because we're going to get to see other gifts of the Spirit being used and how they should be used. But if you want to learn more, read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. If that's not enough, there's a book by Chuck Smith called Living Water. It's a great book, talks about all the gifts. And if you go to the YouTube description, there's a link on there. You can download the ebook for free, or we have copies if you want to buy a, a paper copy. 
We'd love to pray for you. So we've got men and women up front if we can pray for you. Otherwise, be blessed. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great week. And let's be a church that waits on the Lord. Amen.